I want to get back this morning to our series about understanding and engaging our emotions. Uh, it's been very challenging, um, but it's been very rewarding for me to, to, to study these things. And this morning, I want to talk with you about what is probably the most common negative emotion that we have, that we experience today, and that emotion is fear. Um, fear takes a lot of forms um, in our lives. Many of those fears that we have, many forms of fear are very private and internal and discreet, and we don't tell people about them, and they kind of just nag at us on the inside. Others are very, very far-ranging and very general. In the last few weeks, as, as we just were reminded, the world has been reintroduced to a fear that we probably haven't thought about probably since the 1980s. There is a godless, aggressive, and increasingly desperate tyrant with his finger on the nuclear button. Uh, and, and at the same time, the economic news of recent months has brought to many families a fear that is maybe much more immediate and close to home, which is the fear of not being able to make ends meet, or how are we going to get or afford this or that. Um, I don't have to tell you how fear feels. You know how it feels. You, kn you know what it does to you. And you typically know when you're feeling it, because fear does things to your body. Fear does things to your heart. It does things to your blood pressure. It does things to your central nervous system. And you know, of course, also that there are many different types of fear and many different levels of fear, uh, all the way from what you might call a mild feeling of unease all the way up to, to sheer panic and terror. Uh, one author I read points this out, that just as the, the Inuits, those people that live way up north, have about 40 different words for snow, for the different kinds of snow, because it's such a big part of their lives, and so, we, in English, we have developed a whole host of words to describe fear. Think about all the, all the ways we describe it. Uneasy, worried, panicked, anxious, frightened, spooked, terrified, scared, uptight, haunted, petrified. Uh, that's probably about a third of them. We could go on and on with words for fear. And obviously, something that gets assigned to that many words must be a pretty big part of our experience. And it is. Now, fear is not all bad. Fear is not all bad. God, who, as we've said many times now, has given us our emotions. We are made in God's image. God is an emotional God. He has invested emotions in us, and he has blessed us with the ability to feel fear. And that fear leads to, for us to make certain decisions and take certain precautions in life that are very wise. Okay? It's a good thing to keep your guns away from your kids. It's a good thing to stand two to three feet back from the edge of the Grand Canyon rather than two to three inches back from the edge of the Grand Canyon. There are times when, when you need to listen to your fear. When you've got a chainsaw in your hands and you're near the top of the ladder and you're thinking about going for that one more limb that is situated almost right above your head, there is a contest going on between fear and impatience or fear and bravado, right? Listen, fear needs to win that one. It doesn't always, does it? but it should. That kind of fear is a gift from God. And though it may be a gift, we realize that it still cannot be allowed to rule our lives. Fear should not be in the driver's seat. The Bible is very clear about that. God has not given us a spirit of fear, the Bible says, but of power and love and a sound mind. And though part of the sound mind is certainly the prudence that guards us against stupidity and recklessness, still it is clear that fear is not to be the controlling emotion in our lives. But sometimes, sadly, it is, even for us believers. Now, we can't cover fear in just one week. We're not going to try. And so what I'd like to do is kind of do what I did a couple weeks ago with grief 
and, and break our discussion into two parts. Next week, we will talk mostly about how to engage our fears, what to do about them. And I don't think that will be a very sophisticated sermon because some of the easiest to understand verses in the entire Bible are about how to deal with your fear. So next week is probably going to be mostly me telling you things you already know and then trying to convince you and me to put them into practice. That'll be next week. This week what I'd like to do is kind of take a step back and try to understand fear a little bit better. Not comprehensively, but say a few things about it. And I'd like to take a look at two different aspects of fear. First, what fear tells us about ourselves. In particular, what fear tells us about our values and our priorities. And then secondly, I want to look at how fear motivates us. How fear motivates us. So today, what we're really going to be doing is not talking about how to treat our fears, but, but today we're going to be looking inside of our hearts and seeing what our fear is doing to us, where it comes from, what it tells us, and then next week we'll talk a little bit more about how to respond to it. Okay, so turn with me, if you will, to the book of Matthew, first book of the New Testament, Gospel of Matthew, and I want to read two passages to you that are probably quite familiar to you, and I'm going to kind of superimpose them on each other and read them both. The first one is in Matthew chapter 6. So turn to Matthew 6, and and I'm going to start at verse 25. This is Jesus speaking in the middle of his Sermon on the Mount, talking to his followers and others that are listening on. He says, Therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, or about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to a span of life? And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Therefore do not be anxious saying, what shall we eat, and what shall we drink, and what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. And then Matthew chapter 10, verse 26 Jesus again talking, so have no fear of them, for nothing is covered that will not be revealed or hidden that will not be known. What I tell you in the dark, say in the light, and what you hear whispered, proclaim on the housetops, and do not fear those who kill the body but cannot kill the soul. Rather, fear him who can destroy both soul and body in hell. Are not two sparrows sold for a penny? And not one of them will fall to the ground apart from your father. But even the hairs of your head are all numbered. Fear not, therefore. You are of more value than many sparrows. So everyone who acknowledges me before men, I also will acknowledge before my Father who is in heaven. But whoever denies me before men, I will also deny before my Father who is in heaven. We've talked, uh, those, those, those passages have a lot in common, don't they? They have very different tones, very different tenor to them, but they they, they speak about some of the same things. We, we've um, mentioned several times now how our emotions are kind of a barometer for us, revealing 
to us what our values are, what's important to us really, what's most important, what our priorities are. And, and based on that assumption, let me just give you a, a, a quick and simple definition of fear as follows. Fear is the emotion that we feel when something that we value is threatened. Fear is the emotion that we feel when something very, very important to us, or sometimes even just slightly important to us, right, is threatened. And this might be something that we already have but don't want to lose, like a close relationship, like a house in a nice neighborhood, like our lives. Or it might be something that we have been hoping to get and don't want to miss out on, and the fear of missing out on those things, like a good job or a spouse or even a fun activity that we, that we have been looking forward to. And Jesus is telling us in both these passages, among other things, that our fears often represent out-of-order priorities. We have too much fear about things that we shouldn't be so afraid about and maybe not enough fear about some of the things that we should be concerned about. Some of you know that Dawn and I went on a Caribbean cruise a couple of weeks ago. And even though it was a great time, it came with certain little mini fears, right? What if we fail our COVID test 48 hours before we're supposed to depart and can't go on the cruise and have to cancel after spending all that time and money and looking forward to it so much? What if our flight to Florida gets canceled? What if they lose our luggage? What if we get stranded in Mexico or Honduras without passports? Okay, These are real fears, okay? But it was in Honduras that Dawn and I met a young woman while we were at a kind of petting zoo playing with some capuchin monkeys. And we were taking turns with this lady, taking each other's picture and talking a little bit. And she had an accent, so I asked her where she was from. She said, I'm from Ukraine. I asked her if she had family there still. She said, yeah, and she told me where some of them lived. They lived in different places in the country, but, but some of them lived in Kharkiv, which is the city that was under so much heavy shelling from the Russians at that time. And I said, are they going to try to leave the country or what? She said, no, they're going to stay and fight. And I thought, here I am worried that when I get back to the ship, I might not get a chair close enough to the pool. And meanwhile, what must be going through this woman's mind every minute of every day? And my fears suddenly seemed pretty minor. Jesus is challenging us in both of these passages. He's saying to us, are you really being anxious about the right things? Are you losing sleep over what kind of food you're going to eat, what kind of clothing you're going to wear, what kind of shelter you'll be able to afford. And it's not that those things are improper or illegitimate. We need them. God knows, Jesus says, that we need them, that these needs are real, especially compared to some of the other even more trivial things that drive our fears. But Jesus says, look, if you've got some spare mental and emotional energy to be anxious about something, why not spend that energy on the kingdom of God? Why not seek that? Why not, why not think and, and seek the rule of God in the hearts of people who are being redeemed from sin and death and included in, in a loving community that's going to extend throughout the whole world? Is, isn't that something to maybe get a little bit excited and, and, and invest some thought in? Isn't that something to worry about? Isn't that perhaps an unfinished task, as Wes called it a couple weeks ago, that might even be worth losing a little bit of sleep over from time to time? Are you saying, is Jesus telling us to be anxious? He's telling us to be worried? Well, consider how this worked out in the life of the Apostle Paul. Did you know that Paul, that great spiritual church planter apostle guy, Apostle Paul, did you know that he actually was filled with anxiety every day of his life? 
He says so. 2 Corinthians eleven twenty eight. He says that he feels pressure every day coming from his anxiety about the health of the local churches that he has planted. Paul one time passed up a really big ministry opportunity and he went ahead to another city all because he had a lack of peace in his heart because he had sent this letter to the Corinthian church and he didn't know how they were going to respond to it and he was so anxious about that and the messenger with the news hadn't met him yet and so he couldn't even preach, he was so anxious. He went ahead to the next city. That's a huge challenge for me personally when I think about compared to other worries, how much sleep do I lose over the condition of this church? What about you? Is that a fear that even appears on your radar? What Jesus says in that other passage in chapter 10 is actually very similar in some ways. He says, don't fear those who can kill the body but can't harm the soul. Rather, fear the one who has the power to destroy both body and soul in hell. By the way, that reference is not to Satan. That is a reference to God. We'll talk about that a little more in a few minutes. But what is that all about? Jesus is calling us here to make a value judgment. He is is showing us how our relative levels of fear can show us where our values really are. So which is worth being more anxious about, our bodies or our souls? Answer, our souls. Why? Because the body is not important? No, our body is very important, but it's because what happens to your body does not determine what happens to your soul. But what happens to your soul determines what happens to your body and everything else for all of eternity. So that's where the greater fear, if you will, should come into play. I think all of us worry about our family members, right? We do. Especially parents worrying about their kids. We can't help it, right? We can't help it. But listen, how much of that worry, think about it, do a little calculation, how much of that worry is directed toward their worldly needs, money, Employment, relationships, health, good grades, you know, sports achievements. Not that those are all illegitimate concerns, but now compare that with how much anxiety you have over your children's spiritual lives or your other family members or your good friends or your neighbors or your coworkers or the nations. Where is the bulk of your anxiety? Where is the bulk of your prayer directed? What do you lose the most sleep over? What do I lose the most sleep over? Brothers and sisters, we cannot afford to inoculate ourselves against the fear that our friends and loved ones will spend an eternity apart from Jesus. We need that fear. We need to preserve that one, even as the enemy tries to lull us to sleep on that one. Okay, I hope that discussion was a challenge for you to examine some of your fears and to see what they're telling you about where your heart is and where your ultimate priorities lie. But let let me just move on and for a few minutes at the end here talk about fear as a motivator, as a motivator, because fear definitely moves us to action, does it not? Or sometimes inaction. Jesus says in the passage in chapter 6 that the Gentiles seek after all these things. Your translation might say they run after all these things like food, clothing, and shelter, these material needs. And the word there, the verb actually indicates that, that that's what occupies their minds all the time. They're always thinking about it. Food and clothing and shelter and stuff like that. It's what they plan around. It's what they aim for. It's what they live for. 
It's what occupies everything in their minds, the, the anxiety or the fear of being without these things or without enough of these things becomes totally controlling for them. It determines all of their plans and all of their actions, Jesus says. And his point is that this can also easily happen to Christians if we let our anxieties about the things of this world get the best of us and begin to dominate our thinking and therefore dominate our actions as well as we spend too much time gaining, counting, and protecting our material things. But this isn't just about materialism. It isn't just about being anxious about stuff because this happens in every area of our lives. You see, there are three things that we find out human beings crave more than anything else. You know what they are? Absolute certainty, absolute safety, and absolute control. Right? Wouldn't that be great? Absolute certainty, absolute safety, and absolute control. If we could just have that, we'd be happy, we'd be fine, we'd be set. Now, I have to tell you something. In this life, guess what? These things are an illusion. They are. As soon as you think, you, you go through your whole life, every season of your life, you look for that equilibrium, you look for that control, you look for that place where everything's all settled and nothing's going wrong and everybody's fine and in place, guess what? Ha, ha, raise your hand if it's ever happened for more than a second. It doesn't. It's an illusion. As soon as it seems to appear, it disappears, it vanishes. But that doesn't mean that we don't pursue it all the time, Right? as if we can really arrive at that point. And this happens, it happens in our relationships too, a lot. We, we long, when we look at relationships with other people, we long for safety in relationships and certainty. But we're so insecure. We're so afraid of being rejected. We're so afraid of being disliked. We're so afraid of being alone. We're afraid of being in a failed relationship. And so we hang on to each other for dear life and we latch on to each other a girlfriend so afraid of being broken up with her boyfriend that she suffocates him with attention. A father so afraid that his kids won't succeed that he can't let them risk failing at anything. Sometimes, especially in a marriage, it takes the form of manipulation and domination. It even results sometimes in violent outbursts, emotional and physical abuse comes from this. Not out of cruelty. Not out of hatred, not even out of a lack of love, but out of a fear of losing control of the other person. If you see those things happening in your own relationships, you might want to step back and ask yourself one question. What is more important to me, the relationship itself or the person with whom I'm supposed to be in the relationship? Because when you're ruled by fear, the abstract relationship becomes more important to you than the person that you say you love. They get in the wrong order. Our fear moves us to all sorts of desperate action like that. But our fear doesn't only move us to action. Sometimes it incites us to inaction. In other words, sometimes it doesn't mobilize us. Sometimes it paralyzes us. And Jesus is alluding to this in the second passage here in chapter 10 where he tells his disciples that the things that I'm telling you now, go ahead and proclaim them from the rooftops. And when you do that, you can't afford to be controlled by the fear of those people who are trying to silence you. Most of us today don't have to fear being killed for speaking up about Jesus, like some of our brothers and sisters around the world. But there are some other things that we're afraid of, right? When, when we know we should maybe speak out. or, or, or I, I, This is a silly one, maybe, but I went through my whole sixth grade year afraid of going to Sunday school. 
And the reason is, and you laugh, but some of you will relate to this, that teacher of my sixth grade Sunday school class actually had the nerve to ask one of the kids to pray out loud in front of everybody at the end of each Sunday school class. So I wasn't thinking about what I was supposed to be learning about the Bible. I was thinking, please, God, don't let it be me. I guess that's how I learned prayer. And there were only about five or six of us in the class, too, so it was like Russian roulette. It was going to happen to you eventually. And it's, it's, it's funny, the terror that I went through. It's kind of ironic when I think about how often I pray in public today. But what, what was my value there? What was my priority? What was so important to me that I was in such fear of losing it? Simply the approval of others. The approval of other people. I didn't want to look like an idiot in front of my friends. And that's a powerful fear. And it's not just for adolescents either, it's for all of us. Most of us are afraid to speak up about our faith because we're afraid of alienating people, we're afraid of them thinking that we're weird, and we're afraid that we'll look stupid if they ask us a follow-up question that we can't answer. And so we clam up. But Jesus says, don't let that fear keep you from speaking to people about me. Where is that battle raging in your life these days? Or is it raging at all, or have you maybe just kind of shoved it all down there somewhere and not even thought about it? See, when God is saying, speak up, and some human being, or even the devil, is saying, shut up, whom should we obey? Well, we're going to obey the one we fear the most. We're going to obey the one we fear the most, the one that we respect the most, the one that has the most power, and the one that has the most authority. And that is supposed to be God. And you know what? This comment about God being able to destroy both body and soul in hell is a pretty intense one. And we, need, we can't just skirt that warning. It's real. But we do need to understand it in context. And I think when we do understand it in its context, it's going to help us to understand what we mean when we say we fear God. I happen to be afraid of horses. Um... I don't get around them a whole lot, but when I do, I feel very intimidated. And the reason is that a typical horse is way bigger and more powerful than I am, right? I mean, they have big bodies, they have big, strong legs, they have big teeth, which creeps me out a little bit. And, and if a horse decides to do it, he can stomp me into powder, right? And there's not much that I can do about it, because he's bigger than I am and he's faster than I am, so hence the fear. Now, but... Some of you who know a lot more about horses than I do are kind of laughing at me, right? And it's because you know that, that, that even though, yes, this horse can overpower me if it wants to, and if he needs to, maybe he will, that that is not the inclination of your typical horse, right? The horse is not standing there looking at me and saying, oh, this dude didn't give me a carrot. I think I'll stomp him into powder when I get the chance. The horse is not thinking that. It's not his desire. It's not his inclination. It's not his character. And a proper view of horses and a proper respect for horses will take that into account. Now, a proper view of God and a proper fear of God also takes this into account. Yes, God is a fearful and intimidating person. He is. And to get on God's bad side is a very, very bad idea because he alone has the authority to be a soul destroyer when that becomes necessary. But we only have to read a couple more verses in this passage to be reminded that that is not God's inclination. It is not his desire. 
God's word tells us that he takes no pleasure in the death of the wicked. It says that he doesn't afflict willingly. It says that he does not want anyone to be destroyed, 2 Peter 3, 9, but he wants everybody to repent. God cares for us. God cares for us. Are not two sparrows sold for a penny, Jesus says, and not one of them will fall to the ground apart from your father. Even the hairs of your head are all numbered. Fear not, therefore. You are worth more than many sparrows in God's eyes. God is not scowling down at the earth right now looking for souls to destroy. He is holding out his hands looking for souls to save. That is his inclination. That is his character. He will do what he needs to do to protect his holiness and his truth, and that is going to mean eternal loss for many people. But he is inviting us into a place where all of our fears are minimized and even erased by his power and his promises. And we don't need to give in to our fear of those who might ridicule us or reject us or, in this case, talking to his disciples, even kill us. Jesus, in fact, told his disciples in another passage that some of them were going to be killed. He told them that right out. And, in fact, 11 of the 12 of them did die martyrs' deaths. They were killed for their faith in Jesus. But then Jesus said this in the same breath. He said, but not a hair of your head will perish. How can he say that? Well, remember, what happens to the soul determines what happens to the body, not the other way around. And Jesus is saying, if I've got your soul, you're safe. You're safe. All of you is safe. So don't worry. Don't fear. You you can't achieve total safety, total certainty, and total control, so stop thinking you can. But I can. And I'm holding on to you. And we're starting to get into next week here. I realize that as far as what to do about our fears, so there that was a bonus. But but as we go to communion in a few minutes, let let me remind you of just how much Jesus loves you. That sounds simple, but he really does. And how inclined God is toward your good as you place your trust in him. He's a good God. Uh, What are the worst fears that we have as human beings? We've talked about some of them, right? Fear of rejection. That's a bad one. Fear of shame and disgrace. Fear of pain. Fear of suffering. Fear of death. I once had a counseling professor say the greatest fear was actually the fear of abandonment. Maybe he was right. But don't you see? All those fears came true for Jesus. Every single one of them. What's the worst that can happen? We often ask ourselves, right? And sometimes we have to admit it. The worst that can happen is pretty bad. But the worst that can happen already did happen. It happened to Jesus, who has faced all of our fears and defeated them, not by going around them, but by going through them on the cross. And by facing those fears for us, he ultimately destroyed them. More about that next week. Let's just pray while a couple of the elders will come forward. As we get ready for communion, If you would just bow your heads and close your eyes or look at the ground for a minute, I want you to just think. 
Do you live in a world where your anxiety is ultimately has no cure, where your fear one way or another seems to rule your life? It's possible that you don't really know Jesus because Jesus loves you with a perfect love and, and the, the Word tells us that perfect love casts out fear because fear has to do with punishment. And God's inclination is to save and he has promised us that for those who are in Christ Jesus, there is no punishment, there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Have you taken your fears and given them to Christ? Have you taken your life and given it to Jesus Christ? Do you understand, do you know the story of the gospel, that Jesus Christ was born for you, lived a holy life in your place, died a criminal's death in your place, rose again from the dead in your place so that you would have a new life in him. He took all of your sins, all of your shame, all of your fear upon himself and experienced it so that you could be free forever. Have you trusted yourself to Jesus Christ? Are you willing to do that even today? To become his. To say, Jesus, I'm putting all my eggs in your basket. I know that you're the one who holds the stars in place. I know you can hold me. Even this morning you can do that.